Episode 7, titled After You've Gone, kicks off, picking up where 6 left off. We saw Rust and Marty agree to go get a drink. Well, here they are in the bar. And first things first, we have a little uh, classic exchange between Rust and Marty. You look like you're doing all right. Other time has his way with us all. Say so you must have pissed him off. All right, so we're off and rolling. Marty and Rust pick him back up where they left off. Ha, 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 Rust, you look pretty rough. And, yeah, Rust, uh, we've talked about it all series long. Rust, uh, his transformation in 2012 is definitely noticeable and, and, and stark. He, he aged a certain type of way. Time has not been kind to him. But enough of the small talk. Marty wants to know, hey, why... Why are you here? Why do you need me? What the hell's going on with you? I think you don't look particularly healthy. Listening to you talk, your eyes, you seem kind of brittle, Rust. Most of the last decade, I spent stone drunk. Functional, but hammered. Went back to Alaska, spent eight years working fishing boats, bars. No, I thought you didn't like the cold. I hate it. And I come back here, Louisiana, for the first time in 2010. Why is that? The same reason I'm sitting across the table from you now. Man remembers his debts. So we find out, you know, where where Rust has been in his time off. He he went back to Alaska, despite hating the cold, to get away. But something kept drawing him back to Louisiana, and that was the feeling of of unfinished business, of owing a debt. Of course, Marty, being kind of the egomaniac that he is, thinks that he's talking about you know what what happened in their relationship with with Maggie and Rust wanting to to square things off with Marty. And Marty's like, "Hey, man, you don't owe me nothing." I don't dwell in the past. Well, it must be nice. I'm not interested in whatever it is you think you owe me. Oh, I don't owe you. We. Left something undone. We gotta fix it. I've been working on this for two years. Me, myself. Never called you. I never bothered you with it. Yeah, why would you? Shit, man, what did you alienate every other person in your life and then finally you came back to me in the rotation? You know, not for nothing, but if you wouldn't have clipped Ledoux back then, we might have got the whole fucking story out of him. This exchange here has a lot. First, you have you have Marty saying that he doesn't dwell on the past. He doesn't dwell in the past. He's not He's not as focused on uh, what's gone on in their past, to which Rust is saying, well, that must be nice because Rust has been dealing with it for, in some aspect, for 17 years. First having it brought back up in 2002 uh, to their fight and him going off the grid, him leaving, but even while he went back to Alaska, just having this continuing to eat at him, eat at him, eat at him. Marty has lived here in town right with it under his nose and has been able to disconnect from it, whereas Rust, even as he moves all the way across the country, all the way across the country, has still not been able to escape it, which kind of frustrates Marty, uh, you know, why, the, why he's getting called. 
says, what'd you do? Alienate every person in your life until you made it back to me. Basically implying like you, you don't have any friends. So you must be pretty desperate to call me. No one else must have helped you. Your circular motion. Did you make it back in the circle, right? The, the flat circle thing. We're going to keep doing this same life and living the same life and having the same things happen. Uh, did you eventually get back in your circle to where you have to reach out to me? But no. No, that's not why Rust has contacted Marty. Rust has contacted Marty because he holds Marty uh, culpable a little bit. Says that this all could have been solved. This all could have maybe uh, been taken care of already back in 1995 had he not clipped Ledoux. Reggie Ledoux, of course, was the the meth dealer that, that, that Marty shot smack dab right there, point blank, in the head. I don't think I've been very clear with you, Russ. If you were drowning, I'd throw you a fucking barbell. Why would I ever help you? Because you have a debt. You got some fucking sack. What's that mean? I have a debt, huh? This is the way shit went down in 95. This is on YouTube, buddy. So if you were wondering, has has Marty forgiven Rust over this past seven years? I guess it's ten years at this point. The past ten years, the answer would would be no. If you were drowning, I would throw you a barbell, basically helping weigh you down and help you drown. But there is something here about the code of man, right? Like uh, people will always say, especially men will say that, that, you know, their word is the most important thing they have paying debts. If you say you're going to do something, you do it. You're uh, taking care of your responsibility. That is powerful to tell a man. And as, as, as Marty's getting up to storm out, Russ tells him, you have a debt. You have a debt. Think back to whenever Marty was dealing with the first set of infidelity. When he's riding in the car and he asks Rust if he ever worries about being a bad man, to which Rust replies with, no. No, the world needs bad men. We keep the other bad men away. Well, these two bad men, Rust and Marty, have have failed to keep the bad men away. They did not take care of business in 1995 in fact they did the opposite which was make the world think make the cops think that the evil was taken care of so in a way them executing Reggie Ledoux and that being the end of it they almost did even worse things by by ending it by making people feel safe instead they have a debt that's accumulated and grown over the last 17 years that they have to take care of. And, and that strikes a chord. That strikes a chord with Marty. So he gives in and says, okay, fine. Uh, take me to your storage unit. Take me to your storage unit. And even as he goes into the storage unit, he, he has no clue of what he's going to find. He has no clue of what he's going to find. He gets his gun out as he walks in, to which he goes into basically a conspiracy office where, where Rust has set up shop, started working, has everything from the case, everything from, you know, over 17 years, going back to the 80s, trying to connect these dots. And, you know, Marty's taken aback, wants to know why why he just won't go to the police, to which, you know, Russ starts getting into his big widespread conspiracy about basically how he doesn't trust 
the police, how they they're in on it, how how, how wide this thing sprawls out between the schools and and Tuttle and and the cops and everybody could be in on this and starts going into some of his evidence, including, you know, a run in in 2010 with a a boy who had been picked up for solicitation who had talked about uh, animal masks and how these people were having their way with kids and how he had convinced himself it was a dream and the animal masks and, you know, which leads Russ to basically consider this a a type of uh, Mardi Gras, type of New Orleans spiritual voodoo type of ritual. But uh, in in this office, in the storage room, we kind of get an idea of why finally Russ really needs Marty. It's It's the debt that is going to make Marty have to help, but it's really the fact that, that Russ needs Marty to access all the police files for him. Basically says now that the cops are watching him, he has to lay low. Uh, he needs he needs Marty to be able to access all the police files. To which Marty's still, Marty's still not really believing it until uh, Rust just basically comes clean. It's like, look, I know Tuttle died. I know they're trying to pin Tuttle's murder on me. I know that they are thinking that I'm a part of this. I didn't kill Tuttle, but I did rob him. I did go in his house and robbed him. And they I robbed him twice, actually. I robbed two of his houses. But they only reported one. Well, why didn't they report the other one? And it's because I found these things. And breaks out pictures of little girls blindfolded. And then breaks out a video to which he makes Marty watch. And it's Marie Fontenot, the missing little girl from 1995, who is satanically tied up. And uh, these men in masks come out and, and have their way with her. To which we don't really see, thank God. But we do have to watch... Woody Harrelson's reaction and that's much more powerful than what's on tape like you see just how it's great it's a great acting job from him as he's horrified he's horrified by what he sees on video so finally he realizes that he is gonna help that he he must you know try to stop this and now the him being indebted will lead to these two working together as they try to to take as they try to take the Tuttle family and this whole operation down. So they go back. Marty has a private investigator. Uh, he's got an office, I guess, where he is a private investigator, and they set up shop, which then leads to, you know, them feeling the the nostalgia of being back together after ten years, and actually leads to maybe the only time we've seen Rust actually treat Marty as a friend, as he asks him, you know, how he's been, what's he been up to, and it leads to a really sad monologue. How you been? <clears throat> you know, besides work, what do you do? Oh, sorry, I just, I don't ever remember you asking me a personal question before. Uh, you know, I just stay busy. Uh, fish, girlfriends. You seen anybody? Not really. Some dates. You know, it's all pretty casual. I did have something going for a while, this uh, Filipino girl, but that didn't pan out. Quiet life. I don't stay out late. I just, I go home. You? I'm about the same. No girlfriend. Just go to work and go home. If you think back to the monologue from earlier in the season when... When Rust is 
waking up alone, looking in his one-eye mirror, and, and Marty has his family surrounded by him. And I remember feeling bad for Rust. Well, now you see that in, in 2012, Marty has joined him as both of them just have a terrible life. Uh, Marty scours Match.com as he sits alone, eating TV dinners, watching westerns. Uh, Rust taking the trash out, living an isolated life as both men just say that they work and go home. Work and go home. Uh, neither man, neither man with really anything going on. Marty has no relationship with his family. Rust, of course, has no family. Uh, both men, in one way or the other, consumed with, with loneliness. But now they have some purpose again. Now they have some purpose again. And now we really get to see, it took seven episodes, but... You see Marty doing some real police work, and the roles have reversed a little bit as Marty is is tracking down files, trading uh, trade trading scotch with with his friend on the force uh, to be able to access from case files, and he he can't just do it on the computer. The old files he has to go and actually go through a closet or I guess a wide open room with thousands and thousands and thousands of cases and papers that they have to go through. But Marty does the work. Marty does the work, track down, tracks down one of Reggie's cousin. Uh, they go see him. Uh, cousin talks about a time he went hunting with Ledoux and DeWall. Those are the two meth addicts in the shootout of uh, episode five. And talks about a scarred man. Or he gets asked about a scarred man and says, yeah, it's funny you say that. Uh, his memory basically still haunts me. Saying that, So basically confirming that the scarred man, uh, the Yellow King, the giant man, has, you know, was running around with those two. Then they do more police work, more police work. Marty's on fire, and he, he, he gets information on Miss Dolores, who used to get a check from the Tuttle family, and they go see her. And, you know, they lie to get in there to interview her, but basically they get some information from her where she basically confirms that uh, the scarred man that they are looking for is the illegitimate grandchild of the Tuttle family, although he's, he's a children's. He is, he's a bastard child. Uh, the Tuttles were basically just having sex and get, having babies and leaving with no repercussions. But says, yeah, he was around and he was scarred and, and you know, really nothing's going on yet. They're getting a little bit of information and then, and then Russ brings up Carcosa, to which then you see a, a really creepy and dramatic change in her, in her demeanor. You know Carcosa? What is it? Him who eats time. Him robes. It's a wind of invisible voices. Mineral rights, my ass. What y'all doing? Rejoice. Death is not the end. Rejoice. You need to leave now. Death is not the end. You need to leave. You know, Kukosa. You rejoice. Kukosa. You've seen the phrase, the term Carcosa, pop up a lot in the last couple of episodes. It was, you know, scribbled on Russ's wall in his in his uh, shelter or his, I guess, storage unit. Carcosa is a term found in many works uh, that, that usually is related to the king in yellow. Like the, the yellow king, the king in yellow, comes from um, some, some writing 
by Ambrose Bierce or Robert W. Chambers. Like this is this was a part of the inspiration for the this season of True Detective. Usually that is used to represent a place or a city where the Yellow King lives. And and so far in True Detective, Carcosa is basically just meant to to be aware to to understand the the cult like tortures and the cult like living and the worshiping that they're doing. Uh, in this in this season, that, that that's pretty much been lumped under Carcosa, but you know her eyes light up and she comes alive and she's Dolores, this 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 really old lady who used to work with the family is a Carcosa uh, believer. Her granddaughter kicks her out, or her, her workers, whatever whatever girl was in there with her, uh, kicks her out. Says she's crazy. To which Russ says, "No, she made perfect sense to me." which she obviously replies with, well, that should scare you, mister. But now they're back on the case. So they, they, they feel like they have started getting closer. They realize now that the, the Yellow King, the, the tall man, is a direct relative of the Tuttle family. Through Marty's work, like I said, Marty, Marty all of a sudden turned into a, a world-class detective. Um, they started piecing some things together. Including that their their former coworker uh, Steve Garacci, and Steve Garacci is the guy who had beef with with Rust, I believe, in episode one, where he he calls him the tax man, and Rust goes up and smacks him. Well, Steve Garacci uh, was the original, was the cop who took the original co- complaint about Marie Fontenot, and. They feel like this might be a, a part of the the missing piece in terms of of linking just how big this this runs you know like and kind of confirming everything that that Russ has said about the police and just how wide it sprawls and just how powerful everyone every just how powerful this thing is and and they mentioned that he he is now a sheriff and the only person who can arrest the sheriff would be the governor which has been the Tuttle family for a while so pretty much there is a immunity there has been immunity at every level and protection of just how deep this thing runs. So as they get ready to to go and confront him, there's a there's a moment where Rust and Marty are reflecting, and Rust wants the real reason why why Marty quit the force. Earlier he had just said, "Ah, the job had ran its course." Russ wants to know the real reason why. Marty reveals he had seen a, a baby get microwaved by a drug addict who had put her in to uh, try to dry her off. He had seen the baby explode, and that's how he just wanted to get out of this and didn't want to see anything like that again, which obviously he saw something equally as horrific with the with the video that Russ shows him at the beginning of this episode. Uh, so tit for tat, Marty wants the real reason why Rust is back on this case and back trying to solve this. Why'd you, uh, why'd you come back? This. Something I had to see to. Before getting home with something else. My life's been a circle of violence and degradation. As long as I can remember. I'm ready to tie it off. See you on the boat. 
a lot of this a lot of this episode has been setting the table uh, for the impending doom and demise of of Rust and Marty. I mean the, the episode's title after you've gone after you've gone where death after you've gone away for you know after you've gone into the afterlife earlier in the episode you had Marty stopping by to see Maggie and question her about what she's talked about in the interrogation room, but also to kind of say goodbye. She even asked him, is this you saying goodbye to me? And Marty is really soaking in the final moments with the love of his life. And here you have the the the, the talk from, from Rust, basically saying he's ready to end his circle of doom, end his circle of, of having to deal with these things, wrap this up before I can get on to something else. He's not a cop anymore, so it's not like he's getting onto another case. We've seen we've seen both he and Marty's lives. Are they getting on to you know just death, moving on? Like I said, it's not like either one of them really seem to have anything worth living for. Think back to the monologue where they're where they're sitting alone by themselves, nothing going on in their lives, nothing to look forward to. Russ isn't dating. Russ doesn't care. Marty's trying Match.com, eating TV dinners. Now, this is really setting the scene for uh, them going out in a blaze of fury, uh, trying to right the wrongs that have plagued both of them for for a long time, more so with, with Russ, but Marty also, the wrongs in his life extend you know, far past just this case. Get ready for the boat, they say. And they go and they, they confront Steve Garachi. Marty's sitting there having a beer with him. He gets a little test. He says, hey, I don't want to talk about this. Don't ask me another question. To which Marty says, great, we're on the same page. I 150% agree with you. I'm not asking any more questions, but this guy is. And you see you see Russ come. And now it's getting tested there. And then you know, the, the, the episode ends. The episode ends uh, with... The two cops, Papineau and Gilboy, pulling up and and looking for a church, looking for a school that Rust had been talking about, the Light of Way School. And they stop, and there's the there's a man on a lawnmower. They're asking for directions, and he's you know easy to recite just how to get everywhere uh, in the in the area. And cops say, "Wow, you know your way around here," as they drive off. And then you get the big reveal, uh, the man in scars on his lawnmower saying, yeah, yeah, no, I have. I've been uh, here a long, long time. Hey! Hey! Yes, sir? You know there's a little church around here, pretty old black minister? You must mean son alive, sir. That place shut down. Oh, five, I think, just after all them hurricanes. You live around here? No, sir. I live in St. Martin. Got a parish contract. Take care of some cemeteries, public schools. All right, thanks. Hey, you know how to get to 49 from here? Sure. About a half mile, you'll see a left. PR 1435, take that. About seven miles of fields, you'll hit 49 before Crowley. Know your way around, huh? Oh, yeah, boss. I know the whole coast. My family. Thanks. 
my family's been here a long, long time. The detective's curse, right? The answers have been right in front of you the entire time. And you think back to episode three where before they got the big break on Ledoux, they go to the school where where the, the tall man is is mowing the grass and, and Rust goes up and talks to him. And at that point he had a beard. At that point he had a beard, conveniently. And he was right there. And instead of getting any type of answers or getting a chance to really fill him out and, and let Rust do his thing and ask some questions, uh, they got a call and had to speed away. Detective's curse. The the bad guy has been hiding in plain sight, working the grounds of the schools uh, for a long time. And the episode ends, and we have now found the real Yellow King. We have found the real uh, culprit of these murderers. Episode 8, I'll get it out tomorrow. Uh, shout out to y'all for listening. Patreon.com slash Reads Ranch if you appreciate these and would like to uh, comment and you know, converse about these. Like I said, Season 3 kicks off on Sunday. Um, hopefully hopefully there will be a place where people can talk and interact and, and break down the episode. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll take some, some feedback from people there. Since we'll be kind of watching live together, it should be easier to communicate. All right, go to Reed's Ranch on iTunes. Uh, leave me a review. Give me a five-star. Helps me out, makes me look better. We'll talk soon.